This is Joshua 5, 13 through 6, 5, and we found on the inside of the bulletin. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped, and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Then shall you do it for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a loud blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. The word of the Lord. I'm entangled, and therefore I've asked my good friend Rico to please fix me. Thank you, Rico. I appreciate that. He's my haberdasher, whatever that might make you. I don't know about you, but maybe you've discovered this new concept of, uh, I guess it's always been there, but it seems to be coming to a new level. It's bumper sticker art. Anybody with me? You, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting some bumper sticker art. And I'm going to show you some of my favorites. Maybe some of you have seen this. You know, there's a little family, and everybody's happy, and they're on the back. But it's interesting, there's some neat new permutations that are occurring of happy family. There is perhaps a happy zombie family, right? You seen that? The happy zombie family replacing happy family, or there's happy Star Wars family, or happy... People are expressing themselves in new ways through their bumper sticker art. For instance, maybe some of you have seen this one. My child is an honor roll student at Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. Something certainly to be proud of, I would think, being an honor student. Well, this person says, my Sheltie is smarter than your honor student. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find dots on it. I couldn't find dots on it. But then we go even further with people that seem to be upset that someone else's child is an honor student with, my child beat up your honor roll students. <laughs> I don't get it. Don't understand it. So there's a war of words occurring in bumper sticker land. And of course, the strangest one of all, my zombie ate your honor roll, students. <laughs> so encouraging. <laughs> that first mom or dad will never put that bumper sticker up again. Well, not to be outdone, there is also religious bumper sticker art, right? Perhaps you've seen this one. Honk if you love Jesus. Keep texting if you want to meet him. <laughs> behind a car that said, honk if you love Jesus, and lo and behold, I love Jesus, so I honked the horn, 
And this person proceeded to roll down their window and give me an obscene finger case. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I sure hope you bought that car used. Because you are not a very good witness. How about this one? Jesus loves you, and I'm trying. <laughs> Honesty is the best policy with bumper sticker art. Okay, my favorite, I, I tried to have these fashioned for my Virginia State plates, but could not get it. God is my co-pilot. Uh, isn't that warm and fuzzy that God would be? And some of you may have seen dog is my co-pilot and all of the other things that go around. This is the one I want to talk about. Not the zombies, not the texting, but rather this. God is my co-pilot. Now, on the face of it, it makes sense, right? I want God with me as I walk through this journey of life together. Some of you might say, no, this is, you've got it all wrong. God isn't my co he's my pilot. But in reality, is that true? You know, words, as we've seen, are rather cheap. It's when life tests us that we discover what we really believe about God with whatever's coming out and we are putting out there for the world to see is really what's inside. See, Joshua is having a God is my co-pilot moment. God is doing a work in Joshua's life. He is bringing the Israelites into Israel, but before he conquers the land, he has to conquer Joshua. Joshua needs to learn what it means to be a servant of the Lord. And so what is the role that God plays in your life? Maybe he's a friend. Maybe he's a confidant. Maybe you're new in your relationship with Christ, and he's becoming stronger and stronger in your life. Maybe you've known him for a while and he's there, but he's kind of like a, a fixture, you know, a piece of furniture that's over there in the corner of the room. He's not going away anywhere, but he's not occupying that central place. Let me suggest to you that Jesus Christ is meant to be more than simply our friend or a confidant or even our Lord. Jesus is meant to be my life. The main point of my entire sermon is simply this, that the central need of my life is not to be the center of my life. The central need of my life is to make Jesus the center of my life. Not part of it, not some of it, but all of it. And so God is going to teach Joshua a lesson as he encounters him here. He's going to teach him three important lessons that we all need to learn. Number one, God is not for you. God is not for you. I've got good news for you. God is not for you. And I'm glad he isn't. Number two, we have to learn to know God's position over God's plans. God's position over God's plans. And then finally, number three, am I ready to do God's will? I'll sum it up in these three ways. Number one, God wants us to give up our plan. He wants to give us, He wants us to give up our position. And he wants to give up us to give up our path. Because the central need of your and my life is not to be the center of my life, rather to know Christ the center. Well, let's take a look at this passage. We see here that, remember, they've come across the water. Israel is encamped at Gilgal, about two kilometers from Jericho. And, and Joshua appears to have gone to Jericho or near it and is examining it. As it says here in verse uh, 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hands. Now why is Joshua standing there at Jericho? 
You know, Joshua is the one that carries the burden of this whole thing in many ways. Everybody's looking at Joshua, right? It's, it's go time. They've come up against the most fortified city, as far as we can tell, in Canaanite lands. Remember, they spoke about it, the walls reach to the heavens. And they're ready. They're waiting. The whole place is shut up. Israel has crossed the water, but they have no engines. They have no uh, uh, ramparts. They have no tools. They're not ready for a siege. How are they going to take down this wall? Joshua is a fighting man. He knows that it's impossible. And so he's there staring. In fact, even looking down, I wonder if he's doing one of these. I don't know. And he looks up and he sees this man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, normally when someone is standing in front of you with a drawn sword in his hand, you draw yours. But Joshua doesn't do that. <clears throat> Something's different about this guy. He actually goes toward him and he asks him this question. Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, think about that. On the face of it, it's a very good question, but it's a strange question. Are you for us or for our adversaries? Okay, to ask the question, this guy is clearly not from our army, otherwise I wouldn't ask it, right? He's not one of ours, and yet he's not attacking me. He looks somehow different than the people we're supposed to fight. So he's not for them either. Who is he? Are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? And the answer is equally as strange. Neither. See, Joshua's life has boiled down into two categories. Us and them. Those who are for me and those who are against me. He's in survival mode. His back is to the wall. It's two categories of things. Me or them. That's all of life for Joshua. Have you ever experienced that? You may be experiencing it right now. You're in the trenches. All of life is identified around one thing. Are you with me or are you against me? And lo and behold, this strange figure, this warrior, says no, neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. What do you mean neither? You can't say neither. All of life is either us or them. Can't you see what's going on? And he says no. See, the commander of the army of the Lord says, I'm on neither of your side because I only represent one side. And that's his. I represent the side of God which is neither of your sides. See, Joshua has made a huge error. He has defined life around himself. He is the captain. The Israelites are God's people. We are the center. But this commander has not come to fall in line. Rather, this commander has come to uphold the interests of the Lord. See, Joshua asked the wrong question. This is the question Joshua should have asked. Not, are you for us or our enemies, but are you for the Lord or for his enemies? I asked a, a friend of ours who's been coming for a little while. Uh, some of you know Jay and Laura Holroy uh, and their little baby Aria who are with us. Jay is a sergeant in the Marines. Uh, he's, he's a trombone player. He's in one of the bands. Uh, bands. They have ten bands that circle around the country and around the earth. And I was asking him, you know, what do you guys do when you're deployed? So, well, a good example was, for instance, when we're deployed in Fallujah, we'll go and we stand guard at the gates and we also play for the troops. 
So if that's not a biblical picture, I don't know what one is. You know, a gun in one hand and a trumpet in the other. There the, and so I asked Jay this question. I said, Jay, who's the commandant of the United States Marine Corps? Who is the commandant of the United States Marine Corps? How do, you, how do you know that General Amos is the commandant of the U.S. Marine Corps? <laughs> if you were to walk into a Marine barracks, would there be a picture of General Amos somewhere there? It's unmistakable. It said just about everybody could pick out who General Amos is. Why? He's the, command, he's the commandant of the U.S. Marine Corps. Now imagine if Jay was guarding the gate and a guy walks up and it happens to be Commandant Amos, General Amos, and said, let me ask you a question. Are you for us or for our enemies? What do you think General Amos is going to say? I'm not for you, but you're for me. The greater always speaks to the lesser. And I'm not even for me. I'm for the United States of America. See what's going on? Joshua thinks he's the boss. Joshua thinks he's the captain. But instead, he sees this strange figure and he should ask, are you for the Lord or for his enemies? No, he says, are you for us? He says, neither. See, God has his plan. There's only one side and it's his. It's his and everything else. And God's plans and purposes will stand. Listen to Isaiah 46.8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I plan, so shall it be, and so I have purpose, so shall it stand. God has one purpose, and it is His. So the question is, well, wait a second, how do I make God for me? The answer is, you can't. Joshua may be saying, how how do I make you for me? The answer is you can't. The reason that God is for Israel is because he wants to be. For you, as God said to the Israelites, are a people holy to the Lord your God, in Deuteronomy. The Lord has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of his beloved and keep him his command. Why is God for Israel? Because God is for himself. See, it's true, my friends. Beauty isn't the eye of the beholder. Why do I love my wife? Because I want to. There's nothing Lee Ellen can do to make me love her. She did not make me fall in love with her. I saw her, and I loved her, and I wanted her, so I made her mine. That is affection. That is love. Imagine for her coming up and saying, whose side are you on? I'm on my side. But you're on mine. I've drawn you to myself. See, I can relate to Joshua. Remember four years ago, three and a half years ago, coming into Redeemer. Saying, oh gosh, okay, you know, it's what we got. We're going to do something great, though, let me tell you. Let's get this thing started. 
You know, we started pulling out wires and doing stuff, and I'm, you know, this is what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. Nothing's happening, quote, unquote, nothing. Nothing according to my plans, maybe. The purposes that I believe I had for this church, what it was supposed to be. And after a while, it started to get a little frustrating. You know, I'm pushing and there's no movement. God, what's up? Are you for me or not? Neither. This is my church. Are you for me or not? That is the question. See, there's no God-centered. I'm going to do a conquest and God's going to join in with my thing. God is the thing. He's not the means to the end. He is the end. So how about you? Maybe it's not a project, but maybe it's the church, you know? I gave my life to you, Jesus, and all of a sudden things are getting hard. I got problems in my marriage I didn't know about. I got health issues. My body isn't responding. My kids aren't talking to me anymore. What's the deal, God? I said, yes, aren't you on my side? See, if you have that type of thinking, you're eventually going to get to this point. Maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe it's my fault. If I just behaved better, you know? If I merited it better, then he would be for me. And my life would look like all those other Christians that seem to have everything going together and their kids are beautiful and, and everybody's got great teeth or something, you know? <laughs> Maybe you've given up. He's <coughs> clearly not on my side. Look at my life. My friends, God is for you because God is for himself. The reason he has chosen you is it is because of his good pleasure and love. And because he has chosen you, he will not unchoose you. Do you deserve it? No. I don't either. But beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And so you and I can have trust that I didn't do something wrong, that I can't stop the love and favor of God. Stop trying to convince God to love you. And stop trying to convince God to be for you. Stop trying to get him on your side. And take your place on His. For the central need of your life is not to be the center of your life. It's to join with God. To give up your plan. He's not for you. He's for Himself. And because He's for Himself, He's for you. This brings me to my second point. God doesn't want your work. He wants your worship. If God calls us to give up our plan, He certainly calls us to give up our position. We see here as Joshua hears this statement from him that he's the commander of the Lord's army and that he's come. It says that he fell on his face to the earth and he worshipped. And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? In other words, Joshua's had a little bit of a paradigm shift. What now? Yes, you are the king. You are the Lord. What's the plan? Tell me the plan. I'll follow your plan. And here's the plan. Verse 15. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off the sandals of your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. See, I'm sure this was strange to Joshua, you know. I'm, I'm ready. I've realized. It's, it's time to get going. There's the place. You're here. Let's make it happen. It's been 400 years you've been promising this. It's not my plan, God. It's your plan. But God says it's not your position. It's mine. Take off your sandals. Be right with me. Now this tradition of taking off one's sandals, even if you go to cultures around the world, you have experienced it. 
you go into a Japanese, you know, dojo or whatever, you take off your shoes. If you go into certain places, you take off your shoes. Even here you take off shoes. Why is that? Well, as you know, when you're walking around, you're tracking things, particular undeveloped countries, and when you bring that dirt, you bring it into the place, right? You bring impurities into a place that has been cleaned and has been set aside. Set aside literally is the meaning of holy, hagios in Greek. Set aside, it has been made holy. The place where you are standing is holy. But it gives us pause and asks us this question, who is this commander of the army of the Lord? There's only one other place where something like this has been said before, and you can be sure that Joshua knew it. It was when his mentor Moses was called to lead the Israelites, and he approaches this burning bush in the desert. And God says in the bush, do not come any closer, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. When God calls someone to remove their shoes in this way, it can only mean one thing, that the presence of God is there. Who is this commander of the armies of the Lord? We think of him as an angel, but he does not declare himself to be so. The word angel, you can have an angelic function and not even be an angel. I don't know if you knew that. The word angel, Allah in Hebrew means messenger. A messenger of the Lord. In a sense, I'm a messenger of the Lord, though I'm no angel. He's a messenger of the Lord, this one who has come to deliver the message. But he's clearly not an angel. Because in other places where a person bows down and worships in such a way, they are rebuked. Revelation 22, 6, 9. When John heard these words given to him by this messenger of the Lord and he fell down to worship at the feet, the angel said to him, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, with whom keep the words of the Lord. Worship God. No, this commander of the army of the Lord does not object to being worshipped at all. As we look at the scriptures, who is the commander of the armies of the Lord? It is only one himself, the Lord. The Lord is the commander of the armies of the Lord. Revelation 19.11 Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one clothed knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule with them with a rod of iron. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The commander of the army of the Lord is the Lord. And so in this pre-incarnation picture, we see the commander of the army of the Lord, Jesus Christ, coming at the launch, at the onset of God being given their inheritance. And so why is this commander of the army come? He's come to Joshua to say, worship. Give up your plan, but give up your position. I've got the plan. Jericho is nothing to me. The world is nothing to me. It's like dust in the balance. The most important thing for you to be is rightly oriented to me, worshiping me. When Jesus came to earth and was incarnated, everybody wanted a piece of him. 
Most people for their own purposes. This is a great guy that we can make king. Let's make him king by force. We'll take over the Romans. We'll co-opt his mission, whatever it is. Remember Mary and Martha? In the house of Mary and Martha? Martha's distracted by all the preparations to take care of this exalted guest. Guest. But Mary sits there at his feet. And Martha says, don't you care that Mary's just sitting here and left me to do all the work? And Jesus said, Martha, Martha. There are many, many things that are important, but Mary has chosen the most important. To sit at my feet and worship me and be rightly oriented to me. What about the John the Baptist and his disciples? Hey, the ones that you've been following... You are now following this guy, Jesus. Leave him. He must become greater, and I must become less. This is why Peter says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. You know, one of the biggest dangers to making Christ the Lord of your life is Christian service. Do you know that? That's strange. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, think about it. You know, we can start doing His work. I can start serving, you know. I can start ministering in His name. All of a sudden, I'm so busy ministering in His name, I forget who the one it is that I'm supposed to be ministering to. The Lord. It's His ministry. It's His church. It's His glory. It's His life. I must be rightly oriented to Him. Or pretty soon, I'll start taking His place. The central need of my life is not to be the center of my life. It's to make Christ the center of my life. And so, Jesus, as commander of the army of the Lord, does to Joshua what he does to us. He says, put me as the center of your life. Make worship the center of your Christian life over Christian work. Over pulling your acts together. Over doing Christian things. Over taking Jericho's even. You know, there's some neat things starting to go on with this church redeemer. Some new life, new energy. It can be very easy for us to go, you know what? It's time to take Jericho, right? We've been digging in here. It's time to make some waves. We're here to worship the Lord. He'll take care of Jericho. Sit at my feet and worship. Recognize his presence. Recognize his beauty. Respond with reverence. What does it mean for you, Christian, new or old, to start changing your position? It may mean you need to slow down. Do you recognize who he is? Have you taken off your shoes and gotten on your knees? Worship takes time. The more money you have, the longer it takes to count it. The greater the Lord is, the more it takes time to fathom His greatness. He reveals Himself in His Word. But worship is all-consuming. It starts at the beginning of your day and extends throughout it. What are the offerings that we have? It's not putting Jericho at His feet. It's praise. It's worship. You can work and not worship, but you can't worship and not work. So you and I must examine ourselves. Give up your plan. 
but also give up your position because the central need of your life is not to be the center of your life. It's to make Jesus the center of your life. This brings me to my last point. If I'm supposed to give up my plan and I'm supposed to give up my position, then I need to give up my path. The most important question for you and me is not what God's will is, but am I ready to do His will? Am I going to do it? Joshua 6.1, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And here come the plans. Are you ready? The blueprint is going to be laid down. All the work has been done, the preparation, the shoes are off. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Now, I don't know if Joshua looked at that city and went, well, No, you haven't. <laughs> no, he says, I've done it. It's done. Here's what you are to do. Not if you are to do it. Here's what you are to do. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. This shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And then when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, and you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and everyone will go in. So Joshua looks at the commander of the army of the Lord. The commander of the Lord looks at Joshua. And Joshua says, Are you kidding? That's the plan? Yep, that's the plan. Now Joshua has a choice, right? God hasn't given him the whole plan, has he? He said, you just do this, and when the walls fall down, you'll know what to do. See, the question is not whether we know what God's will is. The question is, are we ready to do it? Because all too often when God gives us his plan, we take it for our consideration, not for our participation. God does things in a way differently than the world does them. How are we going to respond? Often God doesn't give us much of a plan at all. The question is, are we ready to obey the bit of the plan that God has given us? And He has given us His Word. He doesn't tell me whether I should sell or buy that company. But He does tell me to worship Him. And He does tell me to love my neighbor as myself. And He does tell me to be wise with the resources and assets that I have. And He does tell me how I'm supposed to treat my employees. And He does tell me how I'm supposed to conduct myself and my family. He tells me things. But God's business is totally different. The way God accomplishes things is totally different than the way we think. This church, what's the plan, God? If he was to tell us, it would probably be something like this. March around the, the, the town eight times and have the horns and the trumpets and do this and do this. And we'd go, what? And we wouldn't do it. See, the only thing we can really tell about this plan is one thing. God's in the center of it. Because the ark of the Lord is what takes center stage, isn't it? The presence of God encircling. What does God tell us to do? He says, love one another. I don't need a, a, a sign in the sky to tell me that, do I? He says, lay down your life for one another. Be faithful if you're a member of this church. Be messengers of my word to whoever I give you. I'll take care of the rest. All too often, this is how I operate. Lord, if you only showed me your will in my marriage, then I would do it. Show me how to fix these problems, God, and I'll fix them. It's not going to show you. So are you ready to do God's will? 
already shared with you enough. Do the steps day by day. I will reveal to you my path because you won't understand it. The issue is not Jericho. I've got Jericho. The issue is you. And so what does this army, Israelites, do? They hear it and they obey. Day after day. Can you imagine the dudes of Jericho on the wall watching this? <coughs> Guys, I mean, they're not hooting and hollering, folks. They're just walking around. One time, I bet it takes a while to walk around that city. And then they stop. First day, I can tell you, Jericho, they're, they're jeering at him. They're throwing stuff at him. Second day, third day, fifth day, I bet they're freaking out by about then. Okay? Okay, this is not the strategy we were thinking here. Okay? They're committed. They made a decision that God's ways are best. See, at the end, we have to decide, who are we going to be? Are we going to be Joshua? Or are we going to be the commander of the armies of the Lord? Because it will be Jesus where the tables are turned in Gethsemane thousands of years later, who's been given this ridiculous mission, a painful mission. Go and die on a cross. Let yourself be mocked and flogged by the very people that you made. And in doing so, you can save them. Jesus worshipped. God himself worshipped his Father. He bowed down. He recognized his position. I am not the Father, I am the Son. He worshipped his Father, and his Father glorified him. And he followed the plan of the Lord. Every single last bloody inch of it. And he redeemed his people. The way of the Lord doesn't make any sense. Because it's the way of giving up your life. God says give up your plan. He's not for you, he's for himself. You don't have to worry about God's love. He's chosen you because he loves you. Rest in it when you don't understand what's going on. Give up your position. You don't have to be king. You don't have to know the answers. Take off your shoes. Worship your Heavenly Father. Give up your path. I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like for my company, my church, or my business. But I know what God's calling me to do today. And with your help, I'll start walking around that city. Step by step, I don't care if everyone else is going to laugh. Now, I don't think one guy could have done that, by the way. A whole group, they can do that. See, God calls us together as a family because we need each other. Because the world will ridicule the life and path of a Christian. But it's God's ways that will be proved right in the end. The central need of your life and my life is not to be the center of it. Make Christ the center of your life. And when you put Him in His proper place, you'll discover His every grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these lessons. Lord, we thank you that we can be freed from a life of self-centeredness and self-righteousness and self-importance. That we can give our life to someone who is greater than ourselves, the one we were made for. Jesus, thank you that you have come as the commander of the armies of the Lord and that you have accomplished salvation of us by defeating our enemies on the cross and by rising again from the dead. May we walk in your path, not considering equality with you, 
laying down our lives, being servants, walking in humility toward one another. Lord, let us see the miracle of walls breaking down as you accomplish your work in this church and as you continue to bring life into death in our own lives, Lord. Only let us see your glory and only never leave us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.